I felt like I peaked really, really early because I had everything that everybody tells you is what you should have and what you should be shooting for as a goal. And it didn't feel like I thought it was going to feel. It didn't feel fulfilling, even though I loved what I was doing. It's not that I hated what I was doing. Actually, I really enjoyed it, but it just wasn't fulfilling. And I felt like I had more potential. So again, I'm also navigating health stuff, still having the calling sickness, but I started asking different types of questions. Like, who am I? What am I really here for? This is Euphoric Evolution, a podcast all about inner spiritual growth for abundance, where we bridge the spiritual into the practical, the energetic into the physical. I'm Makosi Najezer. I'm a spiritual teacher and oracle, speaker and author, and I'm passionate about catalyzing tomorrow's leaders into consciousness and transformation. So if you're a spiritual seeker and know you're called for more, Let's begin your transformation. All right, we are back for part three on euphoric evolution. We're talking about my spiritual journey. And up to this point, I've walked you through my early childhood, up through my teenage years. And now we're coming towards, uh, this is closer to the the end of my college years. I was in college for a long time. in college like six years. So this is like my early 20s. I am having some issues with my reproductive system. I had had these problems really since I started my cycle. Like from age 10, I was having my periods would be so heavy, I would have to take off school in order to just survive. The pain was so intense and the bleeding was so heavy and just all of these things. And Yes, I'm sure that some of the SA had something to do with that, right? And also simultaneously, I now know that there's a spiritual connection, but I didn't know that at the time. And I remember being in and out of the hospital with with cysts. There was specifically one instance where I spent days because I had developed a, it's basically like, it's called a chocolate cyst where it's a cyst that like fills with blood and then ruptures and the pain is excruciating and the vomiting is terrible. And I was in the hospital for a few days with that. And my OBGYN sat me down because I was just in and out of the office all the time. Again, I'm having all of these health problems in a variety of ways showing up. And he sits me down and he goes, look, I know that this is probably not going to go very well. He had been my, my mom's OBGYN and he had done her hysterectomy. She had been one of the worst cases of endometriosis he had ever seen. And uh, I was going down similar pathway. And I had started my cycle years before my mom had started hers, like five years before she started hers. So I'm like on the fast track, right? So um, he sits me down, has this conversation with me. And I had, at the time, I'm engaged. So my husband and I have been together since like 2009. I'm an old married lady. been together a long time since college. And um, he was like, if you want to have children, I'm going to highly recommend that you start trying sooner rather than later. He was like, I think you maybe have five years max to get pregnant. So 
this was not at all my plan. My plan was like, I'm going to live this sex in the city life. (laughs) I'm going to become a doctor. Somehow in my head, it was like I was going to be a doctor and also live sex in the city life. I don't know. But that's what I thought it was going to be. And I thought that I would be the age I am now before having children. Like I was like, I need some time. But I knew I wanted to be a mom. I knew I wanted to be a mom in this life. So I got off birth control (laughs) and we actively start trying. I, it took a long time and I was on so many treatments. Um, I took so many treatments trying to increase my fertility and I was just not getting pregnant. I think the last straw, I had this injection treatment that was like supposed to suppress the endometriosis enough for me to be able to get pregnant. That didn't work. So we decided, okay, we're going to, I'm going to have surgery to remove the endometriosis in order to be able to get pregnant. So we schedule the surgery, everything's set up and I go in for surgery that morning. I get all prepped, see the anesthesiologist. My mom and my husband are both there with me. And I remember I was supposed to have surgery at like eight or nine o'clock. And the time just keeps passing and passing and passing. And I'm like, where are they? Like, I was supposed to be wheeled back hours ago. And finally, my doctor comes in and he was like, I'm sorry that you have been waiting, but I had to be the one to tell you that we cannot do your surgery today. And I immediately get so mad. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do the surgery today? He goes, we can't do the surgery today because you're pregnant. And of course, it's... Like we're ecstatic, so excited because here's like this miracle of getting what I wanted, getting to be, getting to become a mom. I was pregnant. So I did not have surgery that day. I did still end up having that same surgery after he came, but I was pregnant. So, you know, they do that pregnancy test before you have surgery. So thank goodness. (laughs) So um, I go through a lot getting pregnant and then staying pregnant. I ended up having to be on bed rest for six months of my pregnancy because my body just kept trying to miscarry. And I just realized I forgot to put a trigger warning on this one too. Sorry, (laughs) y'all. Sorry. I thought I really broke down that I was going to do a trigger warning on each one of these episodes. My apologies. So really struggled to stay pregnant. And also this is my last year of college, right? So. I'm on bed rest, preparing to go to med school, taking all of my like med school prereqs that need to be wrapped up and not able to go to school. So I essentially am like having to teach myself physics and chemistry (laughs) and biology was easy for me, but those ones were really, really challenging for me. And so I started teaching myself and I have this bundle of boy by uh, an emergency C-section and When he comes, after that terrible experience, getting pregnant, staying pregnant, and then my birth experience was also challenging where I go into the hospital. He comes a little bit early. I have an emergency C-section. I'm giving you all the highlights version of this. They discharge me. I go home. And then a couple days later, uh, maybe two nights later, a voice wakes me up at like four o'clock in the morning. The voice says, get up get dressed, go to the hospital. And 
this voice was calm but direct and there was no explanation but I distinctly hear this voice so I get up I start getting dressed (laughs) and my husband rolls over turns on the light he's like what are you doing it's four o'clock in the morning I'm like I don't know but something just told me I need to go to the hospital and he's like why what's wrong I'm like I have no idea I feel fine actually aside from the fact that I'm healing, right? C-section, healing, not fun. But I was like, I don't know, but something's wrong. And being the great husband that he is, he was like, all right. So we got dressed, loaded the three of us up, get to the hospital. And as soon as they took my blood pressure, immediately they took me back. My blood pressure was in near comatose levels and I had developed postpartum preeclampsia. So that's quite rare. I didn't have preeclampsia prior to having him. I developed it after. So I ended up having to spend five days in the hospital after having my son and had this whirlwind of dramatic, challenging experiences having him. So he comes and I had one semester of college left before going to med school. And the more that I'm like holding him, literally every day I was crying. I never found out if that was like postpartum depression or anything, but literally every day I I was crying because he was a day older. And I looked at him and I just would cry again. He's getting a day older. He's getting older. And I'm just like watching it. It felt like the worst breakup that was happening because you're like so happy and you're in it. And it's like, oh, but but this is like a band-aid that's gonna take 18 years to rip off is what it felt like. But I knew Somehow I knew that he was probably going to be my only one. He still to this day is my only one. He's about to turn 11. And all I wanted was to be with him. I started imagining my life going to med school, studying hard because physics and chemistry and like it was not coming easy to me. Was I doing a good job and getting good grades? Yeah, but it was not coming easy to me. I was like working for it. But I was like, okay, if I, it would take me four years By the time I graduate, I'm like, he's going to be like four or five. Then the years of residency, I'm like, bare minimum. That's another three years. I was like, he's going to be like 10 years old before I get any time with him. And I'm not saying that that is the case for everyone. But in my mind, that was what was happening. So I decided I'm absolutely not going to med school. So I end up graduating. I graduate magna cum laude, got my prereqs, ready to go for med school, but I'm not going to med school. I had two fallback degrees. <laughs> I was like, if med school doesn't work out, I'm going to fall back into business because business always just came. It was like second nature to me. So I got a degree. I got a bachelor's in business and I got a bachelor's degree in marketing management. I got two bachelor's degrees. Like the man, we just, some of us are just overachievers, right? I was an overachiever to the max. Because I was doing that and I was working the entire time while I was in school. I don't know how. Like there was a period of time I was working like 50 hours a week and in college full time. Just insanity. So I graduate. When I graduated, I was working at Red Lobster because that was one of the only places where, uh, because I was breastfeeding, I needed to have a job where I could work short shifts. So I was working at Red Lobster because I could work a four or five hour shift. I would be able to pump once while I was there and then come back home. And I had like this really great cycle going on. But I did not feel like 
Red Lobster was I was going to stay. So I applied for lots of jobs, couldn't get them because at this point I'm overqualified because I've got two degrees and I've got all these years of experience in business because I had been in sales of all sorts. I had been a manager in a few different spots. Like no one was hiring me for entry level jobs because I was, they were saying I was overqualified. So I apply at Target. Target does hire me. And as far as retail goes, from my perspective, Target was about as good as it gets because I was able to be on, I started on what was called soft lines, which is like the clothing side. And then I moved to pricing. I was over pricing. And that meant that I got to come into the store really early in the morning, like six, seven o'clock. And then I could leave at like three. So I would take my son to daycare. He'd be at daycare all day. I'd pick him up after three and then come home, make dinner, yada, yada, yada. And then by that time, like he's a a baby. I felt like I was getting maybe one hour (laughs) of actual time with him. And I was like, this ain't it. This is not it. So I come across, this overlaps with my money journey, right? Because this is like part of my money journey as well. I decide, you know what? I went to this direct sales party. I was like, I have a background in business and sales. I'm going to go all in on this. So that party was on a Friday. On Monday, I put in my two weeks notice and I go all in in direct sales. And I'd skyrocket to success in that company. Not after almost failing though. Just have to make that caveat because people are like, oh, you just skyrocketed to success and it was all amazing. It's like, no, actually 90 days in, I almost failed. I had no money coming in. I had no parties and I was going to have to go back to work. And it was like this make or break moment of like, are you like shit or get off the pot (laughs) moment. And I was like, I am not going back to work. So I got a mentor. I went to my upline and I'm like, Hey, I really am going to make this thing work. Just tell me what to do. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how uncomfortable it makes me. I don't care what I got to do. I'm going to do it to make this work. And so she told me what to do and I did it. And then I had parties on my books and then I started getting really good at it. So that first three months, almost failed. Then six months later, I'm now in the top like 1% of the company. So I get to this peak of success shortly after coming out of college, right? This is a year-ish, a year and a half. Yeah. This is like a year and a half, two years after coming out of college. I'm like 23. Yeah. I'm like 23, 24, having all of this success. And this is when I start asking different questions. Because I'm having all of this success. I'm super young. I'm married with a kid, my own house. I'm like, I'm experiencing all of this. I'm experiencing this high level of success in my business. Why? Like, is this it? I'm like, this is what everyone says was like it. I felt like I peaked really, really early because I had everything that everybody tells you is what you should have and what you should be shooting for as a goal. And it didn't feel like I thought it was going to feel. It didn't feel fulfilling, even though I loved what I was doing. It's not that I hated what I was doing. Actually, I really enjoyed it, but it just wasn't fulfilling. And I felt like I had more potential. So again, I'm also navigating health stuff, still having the calling sickness, but I started asking different types of questions. Like, who am I? What am I really here for? And this is when I am sitting on Facebook one day And all of a sudden my notifications go off. Bing! (laughs) And it's like the people you may know. This was before, it's different now. But back then, people you may know, I see uh, one of my 
favorite professors from college on the people you may know. And I immediately add him and then message him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you doing on Facebook? Because this professor of mine, number one, he was very against social media at the time. He was, you know, an older African man and specifically from Cameroon, just to give you some context. And I was like, what are you doing on social media? And he said, well, you know, he's text typing to me in the messenger. He's like, well, it's actually a really long story. This fellow student at the school that I'm in created this profile for me. I'm like, that's weird. Like, why are you in a school? You're like (laughs) in your seventies. Why are you in school? And what student is making like what fellow student? It just was weird. And he's like, and actually she's sitting here with me and she recognized your last name. And we have this back and forth. And it turned out that she knew my last name because she had gone to high school, not just gone to high school. She was on the track team with my husband in another state. And so I'm like, okay, this is getting weird. This is getting really weird in multiple ways. (laughs) Tell me more about this school. Cause now there's like some weird stuff that's happening. Now, mind you, intuitiveness, I'm like seeing spirits. I'm hearing spirits talking to me, right? Like this is not that unusual for me to follow. So he's like, yeah, I'm, he's like, I've got to tell you, I found what you were looking for, what we were looking for, because he knew that I had this obsession with ancient Egypt and he had been looking for the mystery schools of ancient Egypt. And he's like, I found what we were looking for. He's like, so I want you to come bring your husband. We're having this ceremony. I want you to come. It's a fruit and honey ceremony. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but just tell me what I need to bring and I'll show up. So I don my white, I buy some bananas. I think I bought bananas and drag my husband and my baby along. (laughs) And we go to the ceremony at this house, which just randomly, it was odd to me that it would be in West Virginia right? Out of all the places, it was weird to be in West Virginia. There's nothing in West Virginia, like nothing. (laughs) But we arrive. And of course, my husband is freaked out. He is like, what is this? What do you have? Like, what are you taking me to? Is this a cult? I'm like, I don't know. It could be, but I'm super curious. I want to know. So they open up the door and we walk in and I had this knowing like, For the first time in my life, I am in the right place at the right time. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing all of the ancient Egyptian gods and goddesses around the room. And I'm like, yeah, all of my life, all of this, everything I've experienced led led me to this moment. I just knew this was where I was supposed to be. So we go through the ceremony and, you know, they're sharing with us a little bit about what the fruit and honey ceremony is. They start talking a little bit about, about ancestors and ancestral reverence and yada, yada, yada. And they say, and also we are, we're taking in a new class for initiation and I immediately signed up because I knew I was where I was supposed to be. So I joined that initiatic class. I was one of mine. Now I'm entering into my first initiation. And my first initiation, I'm in this mystery school. Now, this mystery school was started by a high priest, a Dogon high priest from West Africa. So I'm going through the initiatic process. And this is 
essentially an ancient Egyptian mystery school. So we're learning the mysteries. I'm learning how to read and write in the hieroglyphic languages. I'm learning about the culture and spirituality, but not just learning about it. Initiation is not just a process of like learning information. The initiation process, you know, when I joined, I'm like, how long is this? How long is initiation? Which now I just laugh at because that's just a silly question. But I didn't know that it was silly and no one knows that it's silly. But there's no knowing how long initiation is really. Because the point of it is not like, oh, you just get through some material. You just learn information and you finished initiation. That's not how it goes. It's really dependent on your becoming, your ability to decondition or deconstruct who you thought you were and then consciously choose who you're being. And it is a brutal process. And it's brutal at first, um, not at first, it's just brutal because you have to challenge yourself. You have to challenge who you think that you are. You have to challenge what you believe is right and wrong. And that is hard to do. And very few people are really able to do that without crumbling. So it was not uncommon. Like I was the only person to complete out of my class. And that wasn't uncommon. Like most people would drop off early. And part of why, like now that I look back on it, and it's not that that was the hardest part, but it was some of the the discipline that has to happen in, in initiation as well. So in our initiation, there were things that we were not allowed to do. Like we were not allowed to drink. We were not allowed to smoke. And part of that is because people really struggle with that because they're used to constantly using something to numb or to distract and so on and so forth. Not that you cannot have a drink or smoke or whatever and have connection, but when you are in the initiatic period, we remove a lot of those things so that we can really focus on alignment and really cleanse, cleanse our, cleanse our bodies. Alcohol is a poison, by the way. Um, (laughs) So yeah. And then also it brings up the opportunity to heal certain wounds that we avoid by using certain things. So most of the people that I entered in with just really struggled with those things at first. Like what? I can't smoke weed (laughs) for how long? And you don't know how long it's going to be. A lot of people struggled with that. And then it gets gradually, like as you are going, it gets gradually more difficult. Part of that initiation is like we cleanse twice a day and are in prayer and meditation. And my process, like it was an hour twice a day and I'm a mom with a business, right? That's two hours a day that I was like dedicated to my spiritual connection, not even counting the time that I'm processing and learning and whatnot. So anyway, that first initiation, that's the more of like the day-to-day process and the fasting and the cleansing and all of those things really were preparing me in a, and challenging me. But also part of that process brings up divination. So the process of divination, the process of readings in our ancient spiritual systems was not like <laughs> how some of us get readings now. And it's like, 
am I going to get a boyfriend in two months? No, that's not what the divination process really is. Divination is really about uncovering the root causes of the experiences that you're having in this reality. And then looking at, okay, what are the spiritual remedies or prescriptions or ceremonies, et cetera, that can then bring you into greater levels of harmony, right? So I'm getting divination in initiation. And each of those divinations is talking about how I'm here to be a priestess, how I'm here to be a teacher, and yada, yada, yada. So in my mind, I'm thinking like when I'm 50, <laughs> I don't know, for some reason I, in my head, and even to this day though, full transparency, I consistently wish I was 50 doing this. Like the challenges of being a spiritual elder when you are young in a world that doesn't understand what that even means, <laughs> it's like a lot. There's a lot that I like navigate <laughs> in this role. So I was getting that information through divination. I was getting information about some of the spirits that I was carrying and some of the ancestors that were with me and my gifts were growing a lot. So I'm going to dive into a little bit more of that on the next episode about some of the spirits that I carry about my experiences in Africa. And this actually might go on to a part five. I thought I'd have one more, but I think we might need two more to get through my initiation. But anyway, <laughs> I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Euphoric Evolution. If you found this valuable, be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review with your biggest takeaway. Be sure to share with someone you care about if you know they'll also find value in this episode. You can also visit theroyalshaman.com to take my free consciousness quiz, where you'll uncover your current stage of consciousness, identify your current blockages, and define which steps you can take next to align with your highest potential. You can also see the show notes to find our socials in euphoria.